Hello and welcome into another episode of the Calcio Connection podcast, connecting with you Italian football fans all around the world. I am not Alex Dono, enjoying a well-deserved vacation day. My name is Joe Fischetti. You might recognize my voice from the Forza Napoli podcast. I've also been a guest on this podcast a few times. I'll be your host tonight. We've got a great episode for you today. We're recording on Thursday, only a few hours after the final whistles blew to end the group stage of the Europa League. So we're going to do a bit of a Europa League and Champions League special. We're going to talk about both of those competitions. And if we have time at the end, we'll touch a little bit on Serie A. We also have a couple of special guests who are neither of them are strangers to the pod. But before I introduce our guest, let me bring in my co-host. He's a good friend of mine and without a doubt, my favorite Laziale, Jerry Mancini. How are you holding up? You're a bit under the weather today. Yeah, I was exhausted from work, just overwhelmed. I think I'm overdoing it with the podcasting and the writing. Everything's catching up. But in regards to Alex, he'll tell you he's on vacation. But really, he just couldn't make it because he couldn't bear the defeat. And just <laughs> the poor guy, um, he just needs a little love right now. He'll, he'll be back next week. Uh, three straight years. Can't get out of the group stage. I, I, I don't know, man. Like... There's something wrong with Inter, and I know that he'll have his take next week when he rejoins, but for myself, I know a lot of people, and we're, we'll, we'll get to this later on the show, but a lot of people are going to blame Conte. I think he's just a minor issue. I'm, I'm not one of those Conte out guys, and I, and I know that they, they want to progress to the Champions League knockout stages, and rightfully they should have maybe. But in defense, that wasn't an easy group. Like there, no. there, those are four absolutely strong teams, and that is the group of death. If you want to talk about it, everybody talks about how Manchester United's group was the group of death. No, that if you want, to, I'm gonna call that the group of piss because <laughs> because because United were what they won. They were what nine points they had. They needed one more point to clinch into the. Um, into the knockout stages, and I think with three games remaining, they didn't do it. So that's not the the the, the group of death. And, and I credit Hater, our, our good friend, and he he really hit it point on on the Masterclass podcast that he hosts, and he alludes at about their philosophy and and not having the personnel, and and a, a lot of it has to do with their coach, but their manager, but. There's a lot of contributing factors, whereas Inter, I don't think it's just Conte that's the issue. It's like I just said, it's just three other teams that are just as good and equally par. And it was just unfortunate that they got this luck again. Whereas for myself, being a Lazio fan, we were very fortunate getting Club Bruges, getting Dortmund, and getting Zenit. And Zenit, of all teams, in pot one who were probably the worst team in pot one and didn't even win a, ga- a game in the group stage. So, yeah, so we're definitely going to get into, into both of those games, but first I want to start with a little bit of sad news. Unfortunately, uh, 2020 just continues to be a brutal year. This morning we learned about the passing of another football legend only a couple weeks after losing Diego Maradona, Italian great Paolo Rossi passed away at the age of 64. Jerry, I know you and I are both the same age, so Rossi probably played really before we started even watching football, before we were born, but uh, just curious to know your thoughts on on another big loss. 
it's very sad to, to see someone go, especially a World Cup hero, uh, a legend. Um, I don't have any recollection, like any thoughts of how he used to play, what kind of player he was. But um, it, I'm just very, it, it's very sad to, to see someone go at such a young age as well. Um, I only wish the best, like to him and his family. I hope everything goes is okay and everything like that, but I don't have any words off the top of my head because I've never really thought putting things together. But I, I'm just grateful for what he's done for the game, how he's evolved the game, changed the game, how he's done so much for Italy, how he's given the, the fans so much to, to celebrate for, how he's been a, a key contributor. So I think that's, at the end of the day, he, he has really made players better. He's evolved the game, and, and, and that's... And then thank you for for delivering a World Cup where many teams still haven't accomplished in, in their time. So one of the greats, right? that's what I can say. And it's sad that in such a short span, he and Maradona pass away at, at what? I, I don't know how old Rossi was. Rossi, uh, 64, was he? Yeah, and Maradona was 60. That's I, I know at such a young age and and, and I, what did, what did, how did Rossi uh, Rossi die uh, through um, I don't think it's been natural cause they they said from what I've read he he was battling an illness for a while so we don't know yet you mentioned the the World Cup that was in 1982 that was his big year uh, he won the Golden Boot and the Golden Ball in that tournament and he won the Ballon d'Or that year. Um, you know, I thought Gazzetta had had the best eulogy, if you want to call it that. They said he was the one that beat Zico's Brazil, Maradona's Argentina, Boniak's Poland, and then in the final, the Germany of Rumenega. So, I mean, you hear those names in some of the competition that he played against. It was, it was pretty impressive, even if we were not fortunate enough to see him play. As far as his club career goes, he's mostly known for his time at Juventus. He won two Scudetti there. Sounds like Maradona again. A Coppa Italia there a UEFA Super Cup, and a European Champions Clubs Cup. So let me bring in our first guest, who is a Juventino. He's also a writer for WorldFootballIndex.com. Daniel Lucci. Daniel, how are you doing, and what were your thoughts on the sad news today? Hey, Joe, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, like you guys said, a little unfortunate to, regarding Paolo Rossi. And, you know, like you said, we weren't able to see him live, but, you know, I my dad was, you know, was alive for 80 the 82 world cup and he always told me like you know single-handedly he dominated that tournament and comparing you know playing against maradona and zico and the way he was able to score so many goals and just literally practically put the whole country on his back and delivered a world cup so um you know i've seen the highlights at you know of that world cup i've seen his highlights with juve and you know a, a proven winner a proven goal scorer you know has pretty much all all the trophies you could ask for and uh just unfortunate that 2020 decided to take another one, uh, you know, like you said, even so close to, to losing Maradona as well. So very unfortunate. Hopefully, um, you know, everyone stays safe and, and hopefully no one else, you know, 2020 doesn't take another one. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, against Zico against Brazil, Italy won three, two, and he scored a hat trick in that game, yeah. which is just ridiculous. Uh, let me introduce our second guest. Uh, Rossi also played for one year at Milan. So I don't think he was a, a big part of, of Milan's history necessarily. He's the host, one of the hosts of the excellent Red Card Report cod, podcast. Rui Pereira, how are you doing, sir? Hey, man, I'm fantastic. Thank you 
uh, Jerry, uh, for having me back on, and it's great chopping it up with all you guys. Um, yeah, another another uh, player uh, has been taken from us, one of the greatest and probably the most one of the most underrated strikers of all time. Everyone, especially when we're talking about Italian strikers, we always talk about Alessandro Del Piero um, and you know so many others, Francesco Totti and Paolo Rossi. Obviously, a guy that was beyond our time, I believe, and I know that from talking to a lot of um, a lot of people that watched him play, and even just doing the simple research, he was just a sensational player, a uh, guy with a great attitude and a great leader, and he's always been a, an impact player wherever he went. Um, even though at Milan he only spent one year and wasn't really part of that whole uh, era of glory in the eight in the late 80s but he's a, a phenomenal player phenomenal character and he's going to be missed I hope everything uh, in his family is uh, okay and no one else is impacted by by this tragic loss but it's um, it's unfortunately it's a it's reality and it's you know it's it's just a shame yeah absolutely so our thoughts and prayers go out to the friends and families of the great Paolo Rossi so Rui's a Milanista Daniel's a Juventino, Jerry's a Laziale, and I'm a Napolitan. So Serie A is definitely well represented tonight. All of our teams were playing in Europe, and all of our teams had something to play for. So let's turn to the action from this week. I want to start with Jerry's Lazio. Now, for most Laziali, this was a roller coaster of a match. Heading into this match, Lazio needed at least a draw against Club Brugge to advance and had an outside chance of winning the group if Borussia Dortmund lost to Zenit. Now, in the first, what was it, Jerry? The first 27 minutes, I think, of the match, Bruga, uh, Lazio go ahead. Yalcon Correa scores. Then Bruga come right back and equalize right away. Then Jerry's boy, Chiro Immobile, scores on an, another penalty. Uh, <laughs> and then just before the break, uh, Edward Sobold picks up a second yellow. He probably could have got two or three or four yellows even before that one. So that can't argue with that. So Lazio go into the break up 2-1. to one. Meanwhile, Zenit were beating Dortmund 1-0 at the half. So at that point, Lazio are actually sitting at the top of the table. Then in the second half, even though Brugge were down a man, they were all over Lazio. They scored the equalizer in the 76th minute. At the same time, Dortmund had scored two goals to take the lead in their match. So all of a sudden, Lazio, they're on their heels. Brugge hits a crossbar. They have a shot cleared off the line. And Lazio goes from being top of the table to on the verge of elimination. But by the skin of their teeth, they manage to hold out. They get by. They're advancing to the knockout stage for the first time in 20 years. Now, the reason I say that this match was a roller coaster ride for most Laziali was because, Jerry, you were so focused on this Lazio match that you actually had no idea what was going on in Russia. Um, and maybe that was a good thing. It probably made it a little bit less stressful for you. But regardless, you must have been stressing out watching this match. So what did you think about Lazio's performance, especially in that second half? I think the the being up a man, a lot of people would have thought that Lazio were in cruise control. They were they were a step ahead. Everything was gonna go their way. And I'm a person who believes that always being up a man doesn't always benefit you. Sometimes you become too comfortable. You're you're too relaxed. You 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 fall out of your game of how you were playing up until that point. So before. Lazio were up a man. They were playing really good football, attacking, um, relentless, not holding up, controlling possession. Uh, Club Bruges were really struggling to to advance upfield. And then in the second half, I think the the biggest question mark I had 
and I, and I see a lot of teams do this, is a three-man substitution. And right after that, Lazio concedes a goal off a, a cross from the right side. And Luis Felipe does a poor man, sorry, poor job man-marking his guy. And, it, and the ball just seals right, right over his head. And he mistimes his jump. And from there, it, it all goes downhill for Lazio. And I know we always say there's like there's pots at Inter. I sometimes feel like there's pots of Lazio, and, and and I know that 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 doesn't really exist in in life. But like with Lazio, it's always it's always a nail biter. It always comes down to the end. It, they always make it harder for them for themselves than it surely should be. Um, in, in a game that you need to win, I don't know if you, you should take off Luis Alberto or, or Chiro Immobile. And if you're going to do that, do it periodically. Periodically, Don't just take all your best players one shot all off. Because now in that situation, you don't you no longer have your playmaker. You no longer have your, your, your goal man to help you if you were to go down 3-2. Which almost happened when they hit the crossbar. Um it's only it's little things that really hurt them. The first goal came off a, an innocent play from nothing to something. It was really created where you see Milinkovic Savage and Luis Felipe try to close down their man together, and there's a gap in the middle. And and I don't remember who makes the pass, but it, it's a precise pass right through the channel there, right, right through the space. And Lucas Leva doesn't pick up his guy properly, doesn't stay man to man. A shot goes off uh, Peparena. He makes a, a pretty poor save. He could have done a better job. Rebound comes off. No one falls up on the shot. It goes in. And so it's little things like that that really they need to fix on. But the overall game, I, I think that Lazio were the better team for probably 70 minutes. The last 20 minutes, they, they kind of left their foot off the gas. I Like I said earlier, I don't like – sometimes – I don't like being up a man because it doesn't benefit you. And I know the stats people will say, well, you're wrong. Stats prove this and stats prove that. But sometimes the stats don't show how the game is actually being played. It only tells you what happens in the final third. It doesn't tell you. I know the XPG, the XG, whatever you call it, and chances and all that stuff. And I, and I get it. it. It's all fancy stuff. But it, it doesn't detail how teams play in, in my opinion and for Lazio and you said a good point offline yesterday Joe that the biggest game for Lazio was against Borussia Dortmund and had they not beat Dortmund I don't think we'd be in this position right now advancing to the next round beating a team like Dortmund was was the the game changer where they got that mentality they got that flow and the momentum to to, to actually put to go guns going going and, and 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 battle every team even through adversity 12 men down versus Bruges the first time Zenit down eight men and 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 being able to tie Dortmund in Germany like those are things that really helped Lazio to this point and credit to them just hanging in there and, and yeah sometimes you need the luck of the draw where it hits the crossbar but and, and then people are gonna say well Lazio got lucky by the crossbar I don't think they were lucky I think that they they did what they had to, and sometimes you need the, that luck to come your way. And finally, it went Lazio's way because we've seen in recent years where luck doesn't go their way, Inter versus Lazio, in the final <laughs> match day. So, at the end of the day, I don't care who I I don't want Bayern Munich in the next round. If we do, we do. It, it, at the end, all eight team are all all eight teams at the top are are that came first are all quality teams. So. 
pick your choice. It, it's no easy match. It's not like how you're, you're you're drawing for a group stage now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's definitely a bit of a recency bias. You could say the same thing about the Inter match, which we'll get to in a minute, where you know everyone's going to look at how they played in that game, not being able to score. But what did Inter do really in the group stage? You know, they they went into this match with I don't know two points, whatever it was. Lazio were the opposite. They got the job done earlier in the group. You have to look at the group stage as a collective, not not just at the final match. That one usually ends up being the most important, but I agree with you. They they did enough early on that they could afford to have this performance. Uh, I want to move on to Juventus because I want to try to cover as many games as we can tonight. So Juve played their final match at the group stage against Barcelona. Now, both of those teams had already qualified for the knockout phase, but the top of the group was still up for grabs. Juve needed to win by at least two goals to win the group. They did that. They won with a convincing 3-0 win. Cristiano Ronaldo gets two more goals uh, from the penalty spot. If I'm going to chirp Chiro Immobile, i got to chirp Cristiano Ronaldo or Penaldo, right? As expected. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so let me turn uh, to you, Daniel. Um, what did you think about this Juventus performance? Uh, honestly, I think it was one of their better performances of the year, to be honest. I know, I know Barca was not nearly the team they used to be, and they did not look good at all, but... You know, when you still have Messi, you're still a team that can score goals. But um, um, we got, I wouldn't say lucky with the first penalty call because, you know, you've seen worse given before. So, you know, I think that that early call really changed the game for for everyone, how Barca set up, how we set up. And then, you know, we just kept the the press on. And the second one came um, with McKenney, who had a very good game as well. Shout out Weston McKenney. And, um, you know, the, the team played well. We pressed. We, we made some good passes. Um and Barca just couldn't get anything going. Messi had, I think, six or seven shots on target, something like that. But other than that, no one else looked good at all. Um, their their back line was a mess. Uh, Messi couldn't, you know, as much as you want Messi to do it himself, it's not always going to happen that way. And, um, you know, we, sh- we, we shut him down. We did enough to, to make sure he didn't score. And we, we put it to bed with the with the third penalty and moved into first, which is which was a nice surprise actually. I, I actually didn't really expect it to be such a, a lopsided game, to be honest. Yeah, and you know I, I never understand the argument when when people say, oh well this is this is not the the Barcelona of old. This is you know not the Messi of old. You know maybe a younger Messi would have had some more accurate shots. That's maybe true, but you can't hold that against Juventus. They play mm-hmm. against the opponent that shows up and and they got the job done um you mentioned all of those shots i want to get your thoughts on a couple of players one of them is Gigi buffon who rolled back the clock a little bit he yeah. made i mean there were a lot of shots kind of right at him but he also made a couple of really nice stops yeah no absolutely i think he he was calm and, and collected when he needed to be like you said a few of the shots were you know nothing that he shouldn't have saved right pretty pretty straightforward um but what i like about buffon and you know we've seen this over the years with italy with uv um, he just he commands his back line so well. He's you know even at 42, he's yelling and screaming at at his back line, making sure everyone's on the same page. I don't see that as much with uh, Chesney with Chesney and um, like obviously Buffon's not the number one, but you'd like to see that more. Um, you know him showing him uh, Chesney more of that, and and I feel like th- they feel a lot more comfortable. Like the likes of Bonucci and Delit feel a lot more comfortable when with uh, Buffon in the back. Maybe it just comes from his experience and. You know, yeah. he knows how to, to command a back line. But I was I was impressed, no doubt, especially at 42. Yeah, no, for sure. And another player I wanted to get your thoughts on is Juan Cuadrado. Is this guy the most important player on this team outside of Cristiano Ronaldo right now? 
see, like, my, I have mixed feelings on Quadrado. He, you know, he'll make a couple good passes, pick up a few assists, but then, you know, he can, he always seems to find himself in a little bit of trouble when it comes to the defensive phase. Um, but he definitely has grown, no, no doubt, into that right wing back position. And, you know, he stepped up when he's needed. So, we, you know, you can't hate on that. And um, I would he's been very important, important, no doubt. But I also think um, Morata was was great, you know, early on, earlier on in the season, you know, before he got suspended for those two matches. But I think he's been very crucial for us, you know, scoring some some big goals. And um, also the lit you know, his, since he returned from injury, you know the the defense has looked a lot better as well. I want, yeah. it, can I can I add something? Do you think this type of performance can turn Juventus' season around? Like, I know that they haven't lost a game in Serie A, and and that's really good by them. And they get a lot of flack about how they don't look good. But a performance like this against an opponent like Barcelona. Do you think this can really turn the tide now and, and really help towards their season? Or 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 is it just one good performance where, okay, this is one good day for Juventus and they're going to go back to not looking as good in City A? Like, what do you think, Lucci? Well, you, I see what you're saying, Jerry, and I hope it does help. You know, it gives them a bit of a boost, especially when, you know, we just, we just shut out Messi at home. We just scored three past Barcelona. And, you know, I also think... Uh, the derby last weekend coming back scoring two goals late to take that one also will help the confidence as well um you know it's back-to-back important wins for sure especially you know in Syria there's a lot of teams performing well so I think you know putting together some good results um still obviously lots of time in the season but I hopefully this will help you know Pirlo gain confidence he'll know more what he's looking from his team get a better understanding who this his starting 11 who he wants to be in the starting 11 and hopefully gets you know the players all on the same page more confidence and uh hopefully pull together some results up until uh, or even till after Christmas. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned, you know, being surprised about winning, winning the group. And Jerry, you mentioned some of those top teams. Let me just list off who, who won the groups. Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Borussia Dortmund, PSG, and then Juventus. So definitely this is one of those years where you want to finish top of your group because you're going to have a matchup regardless if you finished in second and even some of the second place teams are going to be challenging some of those top teams you know Real Madrid hasn't looked great Liverpool's back line is suspect so the next round is definitely going to be an interesting one uh we'll quickly chat about Inter I'm going to leave most of that for Alex when he really. back because he's uh, really I got I got a report that I just saw right now actually in, in, since we're on Inter and yeah. Inter considering Lazio Simone Inzaghi as yep. potential successor to Antonio Conte Media, Italian media reports. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm shooting this down right now. Inzaghi will not go to Inter. I can almost guarantee. I will put my life on this that he will not leave for Inter. I know that Inter is. You better save that clip. Yeah. Save the clip because <laughs> I've been vouching and I'll say one thing. If there's one thing Latito will do, it's he will keep his manager. Um, Latito is loyal to Inzaghi. He'll give him $5 million if he wants $5 million. I know Latito can be cheap, but when he has to pay his manager and he has to pay his 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 managers or loyal players that are really contributors to the club, like he's shown with Immobile, he's increased his wages. He's increased Luis Alberto's wages last this past summer. He's increased Sergei Milenkovic-Savage's wages. He's about to increase Cherby's wages. 
there's a core where he's very dedicated to. Those are his liked people. And with Nzagi and the Laziale have just reported from multiple sources that they're on the verge of signing Inzaghi to an extension. So I know that they, they've been waiting to, to sign Inzaghi. They wanted to get Champions League done first. And, and, and the, I believe in the coming weeks, he should have an, a, a contract extension with Lazio. I I just don't see him at this moment leaving Lazio. I think he still has a lot he wants to accomplish with this club. Um I know that Inter is like the team where people think that they're like this prestigious, you can win trophies, they got the ambition. I, again, what have they accomplished in so many seasons if they had such an ambition? Like what, what have they achieved compared to Lazio? Like on a budget that's what, 200 million and still can't get it together. No offense to Conte, it's not only solely on him, but I, I just don't see Inzaghi leaving for, for Inter. That, that, that's just me. Um Unless he gets fired, that's the only way I see him leaving this club at the moment. Yeah, and the interesting thing is the higher that price tag goes, the harder it is for Inter to, to mm-hmm. sign it because they're paying Conte so much money. So, and Spalletti. There's yeah, nothing, for one another, he has one more year, no? Yeah. So that's a, Hold on, one more point. That's another thing. So Spalletti's not – unless Spalletti gets bought off by somebody or takes his contract, which is highly unlikely at the moment, you got Spalletti, you got Conte. Let's just say he Conte gets fired, okay, because he's not leaving for free. You got two guys being paid for wages. Inzaghi's not going to leave. Well, what, what are they going to pay Inzaghi? A Pirlo contract? It's not going to happen. No, like, no, you can't. It's not his first year. But the reason why that, that rumor is even surfacing is probably because – as we all know now, Inter did not advance from the, the group stage. They needed to beat Shakhtar. Uh, they also needed help from uh, either of the teams in the match between Real Madrid and Borussia Mönchengladbach. They needed a winner there. A draw would automatically knock them out. They got that help. Real Madrid won that game. But Inter couldn't solve keeper Anatoly uh, Trubin. And what's crazy is that Inter tied Shakhtar nil-nil twice. And Borussia Mönchengladbach beat Shakhtar 5-0 twice. So they were able to score 10 goals against this team, and Inter couldn't get one past them. Like I said, I'm going to leave that to to Alex to comment on when he gets back. But Rui, I want to get your take, because I suspect this result might be a little bit bittersweet for you. And, And what I mean by that is, on the one hand, as a Milanista, I'm sure you're always happy to see Inter lose. You're probably even more happier to see them embarrass themselves and finish bottom of the table and not even qualify for the Europa League. But then on the other hand, because they finished at the bottom of the table, now Inter don't have any European competition. That means they're going to be able to focus solely on Serie A. And they're the team right now, at least, that's second place behind Milan at the top of the table. So I'm curious to know how you feel about this whole thing. Yeah, I would have definitely. I mean, it's always great when Inter lose, but uh, the way, uh, the, especially the way they went out, I think, uh, given the fact that they were playing against teams like Shakhtar and 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 Mönchengladbach, I mean, Real Madrid are always going to be a decent team, regardless what kind of quality or or age all the players are um, on the team. But you know, they, this was a group that I predicted them finally getting out of the group stage after two consecutive years of not getting out. And it's just a, a huge disappointment for them. And it's great that they lost and embarrassed themselves. But 
they're going to put all their marbles into the into the Scudetto now. They don't have to worry about playing that midweek game of Europe against top quality teams where they're, you know, they want to go as far as they can because that's the money maker. The Champions League is the money maker. Just going one or two rounds deep into the Champions League, it's a lot of cash coming in. So um, they're not going to have that. They're going to be focusing just on Serie A, and that's going to be a problem not just for Milan, but for Napoli, for Juventus, you know, the the top teams right now that are battling for the, the Scudetto. So it's great that they lost, but then again, it's also uh, troublesome and, and a little concerning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also thought one thing that I thought was really interesting in that game was that Shakhtar had a chance to advance to the knockout stage, but they actually had no intention of trying to win this match. They, but they just kind of sat back and defended and, and looked like they were they were pretty content uh, finishing in, in third place uh, in that group. Um, the fourth Italian team in Champions League action was Atalanta. I mean, that wasn't the most exciting game. I think more of the excitement probably happened uh, before the match. You know, there's all these rumors going around that Papu Gomez got into it with uh, Giampiero Gasparini and supposedly Gasparini threatened to quit and you have to wonder if that tension in the locker room was going to show up on the field but they got the job done with with what I would describe as a pretty comfortable 1-0 win mm-hmm. you know that was a an unexpected result I guess you can say for for two teams that can score goals I mean Ajax averages over three goals a game in the Eredivisie uh, they got that famous 13-0 win over Venlo earlier this year Atalanta have actually struggled to score a little bit lately, but I also think that's because they've been they've made a more concerted effort to play better defense lately, and and when you do that, that necessitates sacrificing a little bit in the attack. And they were clearly focused on getting a clean sheet in this match. They they sat back, they pressed when they needed to. I thought Duvan Zapata was an absolute beast in this game. He was winning tackles, he was he was drawing fouls all night, and and once again, Atalanta are heading to the knockout stage, and for the third year in a row. Ajax exit in the group stage. Um, anyone, Daniel or Rui, if you have any comments on this game quickly, and then we'll move on to the Europa League. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say that this was a Gasparini masterclass. Ta- yeah. How he just completely flipped the switch on his tactics and uh, and on his approach. You know, this was more of a Jose Mourinho, uh, Diego Simeone style performance. They were just playing to defend and yeah. keep this clean sheet and. You know, we've we seen it over the last 18 months where Atalanta have been on this spectacular run of form, and, but their defending has been really shaky, really suspect for the for the most part. And given the fact that, as you mentioned, Ajax are a really high-powered attack, attacking uh, team, a possession-style team, they had the possession in this game, about 67% or whatever it was, but they weren't able to do anything. You know, Anthony... Uh, uh, Dusan Tadic, they were completely muzzled in the first half. They were not able to cut inside, and all their wingers were just forced to be out wide and just lace balls into the box. And every single one of the of the Atalanta defenders were there to just clean it up. They were just really ineffective the entire game. Ix. Yeah, I, I thought um, Atalanta was well prepared, you know, defensively for sure. They they yep. waited for Ix to come at them to try to force things. Um, they had one good chance, I think, right before Atalanta scored their go-ahead with, uh, was it Klassen, I believe, who was one-on-one with Golini, who made a great stop there. Um, but I noticed, you know, from the few games I've watched Atalanta, uh, Christian Romero has really impressed me in the back line there. Um, he's, he's been, I think he's helped that, that back line a little bit, a little youth, a little bit more speed uh, pace in there. And uh, 
credit to to Luis, Luis Muriel comes on clutch, scores a late goal, and and seals it for them. So it was it was, a, it was good. It was well done by Atalanta for sure. Yeah, Muriel is is unbelievable. I mean, as an as a Napoli fan, uh, you see a lot of Napoli fans complaining about Andrea Patania right now and his inability to score off the bench. But that's that's not something that's easy to do for a striker that that doesn't play regularly. Mm-hmm. Jerry, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Uh, you're obviously a huge Gasparini fan and a huge Cristiano Romero fan. So, so what did you think about this Atalanta performance? Did you get to watch it? <laughs> uh, I, I, you're gonna laugh. I actually watched maybe the first 15 minutes and I fell asleep. <laughs> no, no joke. I fell asleep after the first 15, 20 minutes. I got home from work, and uh, I started early. Got home on time around what I'll say. I got home around 12, 12 o'clock. I was talking to Rui on the phone on the way home from work. And normally, I, when Inter plays, I try to catch all their games so I can elaborate on the game with uh, with Alex. Yeah, and this Gasparini, like I fucking hate him. I I I hate him. I hate, I hate. You know that what? smile, much, man. You I know just, what? Uh, no, it's not the <laughs> smile. It, it is. It, For me, it is. It's not just the smile. It, it all goes back to where it started against Milan when they were winning 5 nothing against Milan, and he was dancing, doing that stupid Smiling. dance. Like, as much as I hate Milan, I wouldn't want to see Inzaghi do that up 5 nothing. Yeah. That That's just not – first off, Inzaghi would never do that. I don't think he's that – stupid and and that pathetic to do that whereas Gasparini is pathetic and I'm not surprised of how they were able to perform I thought in the first 20 minutes what I saw in the the small sample they looked really good and that's not because of Gasparini and getting his men prepared I think these players want to win in the Champions League not for him but for themselves I think that's the difference and they have a leader who they respect on, on the pitch in Papu Gomez. So I think that's the deciding factor is that those players want to play for Gomez because the way he plays game after game, relentless, um, the motivation, the, the spirit he brings on the pitch. Um, if he wasn't there, I think this team already crumbles, like, yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Like, he, he, he was a professional, didn't make a, a fuss about what Gasparini had done like the previous match and benching him last week. And um, I think once they are out of the, of this tournament, I think eventually you're going to see Gasparini out the door. I know that he wanted to resign or, or we don't know that actually that those are, those are mm-hmm. speculations where you, I, I don't know what to put into that. Um, I guess they, the, the, the board didn't want him or the club didn't want him to leave. Like, the, who do you get to replace him at this time? In, in such a, a season where you have Champions League, Copa Italia next month, you got the league still. Yeah. Um, I think they're they're probably going to explore their options once they're exited from the the Champions League. I think that's where you might be able to see him depart with the club, and and that's when Atalanta maybe considers a replacement for him. But in the next month or two, you'll still see him until probably end of February, mid March, and then. You'll start to hear the rumors, in my opinion. But I just think he's a piece of shit. Like he's just, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's I mean, <laughs> and and I love the Atlanta fans are, are. I have no disrespect to them. Like they're, they're one 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 of the best fans I have to say. Like when you go play in Bergamo, it is not easy. Okay, it's not. I remember when Lazio lost one nothing, and Cherby just got denied of of a goal right in the last minute, and it was like a, a hairline offside. 
but that crowd, I remember that game was just hostile. It's very hard to play when with that kind of crowd. But at the end of the day, I just don't like Gus Bruni's, uh attitude. I, I, and he kind of reminds me of Conte a little bit with his excuses, where when things don't go his way, he's really quick to, to blame the refs or quick to have an excuse. He never takes accountability for his for his um, his problems. And I know that maybe the odd game he'll speak up and say, hey, yeah, yeah, this, this, this. But there's no consistency in, in how he approaches and just taking ownership. So, yeah, he, he, he can fuck himself that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you on, on Papu Gomez. He, regardless of what was going on off the pitch, he showed up. He was playing some ridiculous passes, as as he's always doing. Um, I disagree with you on Gasparini, though. I think the club came out and they pulled the, a line out of Lucci's book there where they, they came out and said the team comes before the players. And, and to me, that was a subtle hint that, uh, you know, if, if Papu and, and if Ilicic don't want to, you know, play their role, then they're going to move on. Atalanta have tons of players. So go look at Atalanta's roster if you ever have a chance. Because of their academy, it's the biggest mm-hmm. squad you'll ever find. It's it's ridiculous, and, and we know what, what they can produce. Uh, you mentioned Gasparini dancing, uh, you know, at, against Milan. He's pissed off a lot of Napoli fans for some of the comments he's made. But on Milan, let's turn to the Europa League. And Milan had already advanced to the knockout stage, but like Juventus, the top of the group was up for grabs. They needed some help, which they got. Celtic beat Lille 3-2 today. Milan got a 1-0 win. Another great goal by Jens Petter Haug. He's quickly becoming a fan favorite. So Milan ended up winning this group. So Rui, what did you think of uh, Milan's performance today? Yeah, as we saw the uh, the lineup, it was just completely unrecognizable. Just so many players that you don't really see. Like the average uh, football fan, if they were to look at this lineup, they wouldn't even know uh, half the players on it. And, um, you know, uh, Pioli lined up a lot of the young players and a lot of the backup players. And this was their chance to prove a point. And a lot of the players, for the most part, did a phenomenal job. I thought Diego Dallo was really good. He was really sensational. He was lacing a lot of key passes. Uh, Jans Peter Haug uh, was phenomenal once again. Another uh, great piece of dribbling and a cool, calm, collected finish to, to just really give us the lead and eventually ended up being the game winner. And uh, our goalkeeper, Tetra Sanu, I always struggle to say his name, but he was huge in this game. He had a couple of uh, key saves that maintained our lead and guaranteed us the three points. And it was just a, an all-around great effort, great team um, uh, performance. Uh, Kalulu, the young player, 20 years old, who's originally a right back, and he even offered up to play center back in this game, told Pioli that he has experience playing center back, and he was sensational. Um, really gave us a huge boost with no Kier, no Romagnoli. Um, and we, it was just a really great performance uh, overall. So this is a huge um, a huge sign for Milan. They can play well. I know it's just against uh, Sparta Bra- uh, Praha, but they can still play as a unit together with their basic second team. So, um, And that's going to be key. If they want to go far into all these competitions, Co- uh, Coppa Italia, Europa League, Serie A, most importantly, you have to have this rotation and having these players fill uh, these roles and get the absolute maximum uh, performance out of them. And so far we've been seeing it and uh, I hope it continues. 
Yeah, no, it was good to see uh, Tatrasano have a, a better game. Obviously, his last time out didn't go so well. Yep. Um, you mentioned Tonali. He's he's looking better and better every time he yeah. plays. He's starting to look like the guy that everybody wanted. Uh, and that's obviously something that's going to come with time. So I, I love how Pioli's managed that whole situation. You don't want to take a young kid like that and just throw him in there, you know, on one of the biggest clubs in, in Italian football. Um, did, did Rafael Leal make an appearance in, in this match as well? Yeah, he came off the bench. It was his first match um, since suffering an injury. He missed the last several games. And he had a little iffy performance. Uh, you could tell he was rusty, maybe not 100% fit. But I'm glad that Pioli put him on just to get him a little bit of some sort of uh, repetition on the pitch um, so he can be prepared for this coming weekend and for the weeks to come. It's uh, it's going to be a, a tight schedule up until the, until the, um, the new year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think... Uh... You know, that's huge to get a player back, right? And and why not throw him in, in, in a position like that where there's little risk and, and he can get some some minutes in his legs. So let's move on to my team, which is Napoli, which I'll tackle this one. Um, you know, there were a lot of situations that could have played out in, in terms of the results. Napoli went into this game top of the group, two points ahead of Sociedad and Alkmaar. A win would guarantee that we win the group. A draw would guarantee that we advance. A draw could also mean that we win the group, depending on the result in the Alkmaar-Rieka match. Um, if if Alkmaar did not win that match, then a draw would still win the group for us. A draw, we could even lose this match and still advance, depending on, on that outcome. It ended up being a 1-1 a draw, which didn't really matter because Rieka actually beat Alkmaar 2-1, a team that only had one point in the group heading into this match which they picked up last week tying Sociedad. So two pretty impressive results in the last two weeks. Um, that made it easier for Napoli if, you know, they probably were keeping an eye on the score, so it probably de-stressed the situation a little bit. This match was not Napoli's best performance, far from it. We were, we looked terrible in the first half hour. Sociedad pressed high, they they marked tight, and, and every time we got the ball, we just gave it right back to them. We got very lucky in the 19th minute. Porto missed a wide open goal from only a couple yards away. Now it was raining at, in Napoli. I feel like it's been raining all week in, in all across Italy. Um, by the way, this was the first game that was played at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona since it was, it was renamed. We did settle down a little bit after that goal around the 35th minute. Zielinski scored an absolutely gorgeous goal uh, from the top of the mocks with a volley. Now, in my preview, I, I started doing three keys to the match. And one of the keys I had to this match was that Napoli have to be better on our set pieces. And and the reason I said that was because Sociedad have not conceded many goals this year. I think heading into this match, they had only conceded eight goals in 17 matches in all competitions. Two of those goals were from penalties, only six from open play. One of those was the goal that Politano scored in our first meeting, which was a lucky goal. It took a bit of a lucky deflection. And then out of the remaining five goals, four of them were from crosses, which is something that Napoli is terrible at. And two of those four goals were from corner kicks, which, again, something we're terrible at. One of the biggest frustrations for Napoli fans is we take these short corner kicks. It's usually Mertens and, and Mario Rui, and we do nothing with them. We could get 15 corner kicks in a match and get zero chances out of them in the Roma match. We played a short corner kick, and we played the ball all the way back to the midway point of our own half. So, you know, it's it's been frustrating. On this corner kick, we play a direct free kick into the box. It's headed out. 
And sure enough, Zielinski scores on, on sorry, the direct corner kick into the box and Zielinski scores on the corner kick. So that was something I was happy about. I was happy to see Zielinski get a goal. He's been playing amazing since he came back. He's been playing in the 10 spot now with Osim and Elton Mertens been playing striker. Zielinski's been playing in the 10 spot and he's been having a lot of success there. Um, then given the circumstances after that, Napoli pretty much went into shutdown mode. Sociedad scored a late goal, which was huge for them because Alkmaar at that point were tied 1-1. So two draws would allow Sociedad to advance uh, because they had the, the advantage on the tiebreaker. Then shortly after that, what was interesting, just like Shakhtar, Sociedad weren't actually going for the goal, even though an Alkmaar goal would have knocked them out of the competition. After they scored, they just sat back. But then like minutes after that, not even minutes, maybe seconds after that, Rijeka actually went ahead in the Alkmaar match. And that that kind of sealed the deal. So both of these teams were going to advance and neither of them. They just kind of passed the ball around. Napoli passed the ball around at the back for a couple of minutes to, to kill the clock. The one thing I'm a little bit concerned about, I'm not going to push the panic button just yet, but in the last two matches, both against Crotone on Sunday and then today against Sociedad, we were completely outplayed in the first half, and it took a wonder goal. On Sunday, it was from Insignia, a beautiful curling shot to the far post, that you know, Insignia special. And then today, I mentioned that Zielinski goal. So that's something you know I'm a little bit concerned about. But I think, like most Napoli fans, we're just happy to get wins while Victor Osman is out um, and recovers from that from that shoulder injury. So we'll take the points. We we win the group, so I shouldn't be too disappointed about that, and and we keep rolling on. The, the other Italian team in action was Roma. They lost 3-1 to CSK Sofia, but that match was completely meaningless for them. Roma had already won the group. So they, I think the only two regulars that they played in this match were Pedro because he's on a red card and said, yeah, so he's not going to play on the weekend anyways. And then uh, Marash Kumbula because he just got back from COVID. So they're trying to get some minutes in him. Um, so that ends the, the European. Joe, yeah. I, want, I want to elaborate on, on Napoli actually since... Sure. Uh, yeah, I get these ideas in my head, man. I, gotta get just, them up. Just pop. man. Uh, who cares about Roma, man? They, they really, <laughs> who cares about Roma? They already booked their spot a week ago. They'll, they'll lose in the round of 32 anyway, so it doesn't really matter because it's just Roma and how, how Roma does things. But no, I'm, I'm kidding. But aside from that, I, 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 I don't think it's just a Napoli thing where they're struggling to get into the game and – it takes them 45 minutes, 50 minutes. I think it's every team in the league, personally, from Juventus, who's shown it, to Milan, who's shown it at times. And I think I'll give credit to Milan. I think Milan has probably been the most consistent team in their play of all the City clubs. And 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 that's me being non-biased here. I'm being very open-minded here. And credit to, to uh, Pioli, where he has really done a good job getting his men prepared. Uh, mentally focused and I, I think a lot of this has to do with Juventus bringing a lot of new players in Napoli has done the same thing we're bringing a lot of new players in Lazio has brought a lot of new players in to Inter and normally when when a season starts you got and I and I used to be against so many preseason games and why do they travel to USA and why do they go to London to play ABC but now looking at a very condensed summer and not having that training time it kind of gives me a better idea a better meaning why they actually do it so to, to get that chemistry to, to to get those new players to to be acquainted of how their new manager plays how the new system works and 
I think that a lot of these players haven't been able to to baby to, to, to basically acquaint themselves to their new teammates to their new system and, and and it's taking a lot of teams a while to 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 very to get to that level where like I'll, I'll say for Lazio for that Marici a lot of people want him out after five games but the guy has like and it's not just him it's every team where COVID from COVID to injuries because of, of of so much international play to schedule. even after his schedule like there's just so many factors that every signing is going to be criticized but you can't I don't, I, don't, I will refuse to criticize any signing that Latito made this summer because this is not a regular season where compared to recent seasons like past seasons where you can actually judge mm-hmm. a season like I and, and, and even with Inter like I know that they exited from from Champions League but again this is not a regular time it, it's just there's so many factors that really are are making things a little bit more difficult. I think that Napoli were probably the best team in the transfer market starting from January till now. Mm-hmm. And and right now we're not seeing that. And it's not because of their faults of getting the wrong players. I don't believe that. Or Ossiman doesn't look like the player because he hasn't scored the goals in, in five, six games that he played. No, it's he needs to get used to the team. He needs to understand how Gattuso plays. And Teams such as like Verona right now, who are in the top seven, eight, are benefiting because they only play a week, a one mm-hmm. game a week. So they're able to take advantage. Uh, a Sassuolo team where they're able to take advantage of teams who are playing multiple games. Do I think they're going to stay at the top for this long? No, I don't. I think that Juventus, Napoli, Lazio, they got the depth. They got the personnel. Now that Champions League is done, now you're starting to see the bigger clubs have more time to prepare and, and get things going in their league matches. But I think that a lot of fans, this is a season you have to like let it go and, yeah. and not be so critical. Be patient and not jump yeah, the gun. Don't jump the gun, man. Yeah. Like and, yeah. and, and and since you're here, Rui, Hog, what yeah. do you do you guys think he's the Great. signing of the year? I'm gonna I, I, I know everybody talks about like Oh, this is my Capitanero of the year, and, and I respect that. Or this is my Scudetto winner of the year. He's in first. I'm gonna come up with an award, the signing of the year award. <laughs> and 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 there's always that one player who just is so cheap, and like you wish that you had that player. And for me, it's Hog. This yeah. guy like, is unbelievable. I think he's like what rookie? Is there like a rookie of the year award for for City? A? like, or or, or or am I making up shit here? Because like I would give it to him. He's like flourishing, man. Yeah, maybe they should have one just for him. But yeah. um, no, Jerry, I want to touch up just really quickly on what you were saying on uh, you know, players. Oshiman is a great example. Uh, phenomenal talent, phenomenal player. I think it's a great signing, and it's eventually going to pay off. He just needs to find his groove. I mm-hmm. think we're we're seeing with him is the same thing. What happened to Tangi and Dombele at Tottenham in his first year? He wasn't able to settle in, but now he's starting to. He's got that experience. He's building a chemistry with his team. He's understanding the EPL because coming from France to the EPL is just a complete different jump. Now he's playing for Mourinho. He's understanding that um, that style of play. And this year, he's been playing really, really well. And you can say the same thing about a few players with um, uh, a few players at, at Milan. Uh, Haug, 
for example, Rafael Leão wasn't really used in the first three or four games. And then after that, he just exploded. And now we're starting to see glimpses of uh, a brilliance with Sandro Tonali, who's finally coming around and getting comfortable, getting used to the system and, and his teammates around him. So all this, it, it requires a lot of patience. And I think maybe this is the turning point for uh, Ju Juventus. And I think we've seen a turning point with Napoli at times where they've been a little inconsistent, but they're really really getting better as the weeks go on so um and you could say the same thing with Lazio as well so all this all this is just about uh pa just being patient and letting everything work uh itself out and I think uh with this time uh from now all the way until the next round of 16 I think this is where we're going to see a huge difference in uh performances with all these teams that are that have been playing in Europe for sure Actually, I have a quick question for for Rui and, and Joe, actually. So now that you guys have seen Inter not playing in, in Europe at all, does that kind of um, change as, let's say, you know, you're in charge of Napoli and, and Milan, respectively. Does that change your direction when it comes to Europa League? Are you less focused on that? Because now you're more focused on Serie A because maybe Inter is going to be a tougher opponent now that they're playing less. They have more time to prepare for their next games. Like, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think Milan are just going to continue with the same uh, approach. I think we have a lot of depth, or at least the depth that we have have been performing. So it's all about like maintaining that form. You can say the same thing about each of our clubs. When are when are Juventus and um, and uh, Lazio going to turn around and start playing to where they're supposed to be playing? Napoli, how long are they going to keep this form up? So I think the approach for all of us is going to be the same. Um, it's just all about how we're going to cope with um, all the challenges and all the matches that we're going to we're going to confront. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think I think we're going to just keep on playing just to win every single game. Obviously, our major goal is to be in the top four because the Champions League revenue is just so crucial nowadays, and especially for Milan, who are an FFP. So as long as we're able to uh, maintain top four, we should just try to win every single tournament that we can, but maintain the level, um, the top four level. Yeah, I think it's the same thing for Napoli. And it's funny because this debate was raging on Twitter a little bit earlier today where there's a, a portion of the Napoli fan base, actually probably the majority that wants to see them try to win the Europa League. And I'm in the minority, I would say, that I actually wouldn't have a problem if we got eliminated. Because, That's what I was thinking, yeah. You know, and, and if we're going to compete for it, I still want my best 11 playing in Serie A. We have enough depth that we can still field a very good squad in the Europa League. Mm -hmm. But to Rui's point... The revenue, the difference in revenue between playing in the Champions League and playing in the Europa League is so great that you can't afford to keep missing the Champions League. Rui knows this with Milan over the last little while. Each time you miss Champions League, it gets a little bit harder because you don't have the money to spend on the ballpark for the next one. And that goal becomes further and further away. So especially in the year where Serie A is so competitive, yeah. I want my focus to be on Serie A. Um, yeah. Coming back to, to what Jerry was saying, I think you're going to see, and, and we'll close on, on this point, that as now that the European Cups are, are off until February, as, as Rui said, there's still a busy schedule. We're going to see every Serie A team play four matches in the next two weeks heading into the Christmas break. And I think that's where you're going to start to see the big clubs rise to the top because the smaller clubs don't have as much, as much depth. 
So I think they're going to struggle a little bit. So what I, what I want to do to close the pod is quickly go around the table. And I want to get everyone's thoughts on their respective teams and, and how you think they're going to finish off uh, the end of the year before the Christmas break. So why don't we start with you, Daniel, and Juventus? Sure. Uh, well, we have Genoa this weekend. So, you know, no game's an easy one, especially, you know, how we've seen Juve start the season. But that's that's a, that's a game you got to win. Genoa's been really struggling this year. Um, so hopefully we can pull out a win there. Um, Morata's still suspended for this one, so Dybala's going to have another chance to prove that he belongs with this team, that he wants to be here. Um, then we have Atalanta midweek um, next Wednesday, I believe it is. So that'll be a tough. Atalanta's look better, like we, we discussed in the Champions League. They, they look like they're getting a little better uh, finding their groove. So that's going to be no easy game as well. But Gasparini knows how to put together... Uh, you know, if he has the bench behind him, I don't know, but he, he can put together a good squad. And uh, Par- we finished with Parma and Fiorentina, who have both um, struggled this year, to, to put it nicely. Uh, Parma has not been, has not looked very good. So, you know, those, like, and, and Fiorentina as well, with a, with a new coach in, in Prandelli. So um, those, you would hope to, to take all four. It's, it's not going to be easy. Like we said, that's four games in, what, two, two and a half weeks, whatever it is. Um you know, it's it's a tight schedule, but like most of the teams uh, here, you have you have enough depth to to put together hopefully a winning team and, and get and get some points. And it, if if we have to, um, you know, it's it's not going to be easy, and we're going to have to fight for it. But hopefully, we can put together some wins and and go into the Christmas break uh, looking looking better. Anyways. Yeah, I think Juve probably have the easiest schedule out of our four clubs, which burns me because. We could well be looking at Juventus sitting in second or third by the time the uh, the winter break rolls around. Rui, Milan's in first place. Are they still going to be there come Christmas time? I hope so. Um, we've been playing really well. We've been playing well in all competitions this year. So it's all about maintaining that form, as I mentioned. So the next two weeks are going to be really crucial. I think it's going to really dictate the trajectory of the season. Do I think we're going to win the league? That's a big, big question mark. I think it is really open it's more open than it than it's ha- than it has been in in such a long time um but you know the most important thing for me is just securing that champions league spot because we're just in the middle of this project and the first stepping stone is that champions league so um i think the next couple of weeks are really going to dictate the trajectory of our of our season we're going to be play, playing against uh, parma who at times have given us a ride for our money uh, a big game against Lazio, which I'm going to be a little concerned about because if Lazio are regaining form and playing at their top flight level, it's going to be a big, big match and, a, and you know, a big test. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we show up to play in that game and hopefully Lazio aren't in form. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a big uh, challenge in the next two weeks. But uh, the the race, the, the chances of us winning I think they're a lot bigger than what people thought going into the season. But, um, you know, I, I'm not going to be too uh, hopeful. I'm not going to get my hopes up, but uh, I'll take it for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Lazio, Jerry. Lazio have probably the hardest schedule out of our four teams with Verona, always tough. Benevento have shown they can take points. And then Napoli-Milan. Jerry, where do you think Lazio are going to be sitting uh, heading into the Christmas break? Um, they'll be out of a top four spot for sure. Here's the thing with Lazio. They were really focused on Champions League and and Inzaghi has alluded to that. 
he's mentioned that they don't come with the same mental state, the mental mind when it comes to Serie A. Uh, I think in, in recent seasons, Europa League was never a priority. And now Champions League has taken a step further over their uh, their season. Now that everything's done, I think that Lazio can actually win against Milan and Napoli as opposed to losing against Verona and Benevento. This is how Lazio plays. They, 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 they show up as a different team against the top seven clubs. And then when it comes to the mid-table teams, it's always been the challenge of they can't, put it together or they take a step back or they take the opponent too lightly. Um, we saw that last year, and I see that this year too, where when they played Inter, they, they scrapped out a 1-1 draw. When they played Juventus, they scrapped out a 1-1 draw in, in, in the dying moments. Um, I don't know who else they played that. I, I know Atalanta, they played, they outplayed Atalanta. And a, a few key injuries, uh, playing Adam Maricic on, on, as an inverted winger didn't really help. He was caught out of position on the first goal. Kind of bad breaks. Uh, Immobile didn't capitalize on his uh, opportunity that could have made it 3-2 at that moment. May have changed the whole game around. But Lazio has really shown that they can play with the best teams. And, and now it's the time to start earning those points that really matter against a Verona side and a Benevento side where they need those points. Those are the crucial points, and that's how you, you become a top-four team. It's not always being the best teams, but it's being the teams you're supposed to be, mm-hmm. and, and it keeps you in contention. So, And the biggest challenge is can they do it without Immobile or a Cherby this weekend? Because it seems as if Nzagi is looking to rest both of his top dogs, and I am not against this. I, I do like this decision because I this is something that Inzaghi has been criticized, and I mean heavily criticized. You got, and I, and I think that Benevento is a better team than than Verona, maybe. Um, but why rest them now, Jerry? Why not rest them for for the next game? Because you you come off a Champions League game this past week. You played last Sunday as well. Uh, you come off two days rest against Benevento, I, I think this is the smart decision because you, you're going from this past Tuesday to next Tuesday, and it gives them a full-week rest. But you think Benevento's tougher than, than Verona? I, I, I was watching the Verona game last weekend against Cagliari. I thought they were good for 45 minutes and then very bad for 45 minutes. And their midfield is not the same. I think that the departure of um, uh, Amrabat. Amrabat, Amrabat was one. Mm-hmm. He does not look like the same player in Fiorentina. He looks lost. He, he that whole team looks lost. But no, I, I, that's that's for another day. But <laughs> but with Verona, like with, with Amrabat, he was he really kept that midfield together. And I still think that Verona has some good pieces. Uh, Zakani, I love Zakani. Yeah. Uh, Farone, uh, I think that's how you say it. Now. Farone. Um, Farone. Yeah, he's a very – I love him. I would love to see him go to Lazio personally. I think he would be a great addition. But I'm, I'm just yeah, not – the thing I'd be concerned about is Verona is one of the best defending teams in the yeah. league. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's Once again, and it, it's not right. like – it's the second year in a row where they're playing defense at a really high level. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they defend really well. I even we came back – Milan were down 2 nothing against them and still managed to, to, to tie the game. 
that was a real battle and a real struggle for Milan to really break that defending yeah. line that, that Verona have. They're really well organized. So I think that's a game where Lazio really want to put all their marbles in, especially right. at least on the attack. You want to have Luis Alberto there. You want to have Chiro Immobile there. You want to have all the key players um, that can that are capable of breaking down that 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 defense. Well, yeah, so the battery looks good, too. Um, yep. have those guys available. You don't want to do what Pirlo did and take Ronaldo completely out of the squad. You don't want to exactly. take him completely out. Well, but at least have him available on the bench if he needs to come on. I Well, Inzaghi would never take Immobile right out of the lineup. He's, I've never seen him do that. Um, oh, I, I can't recall when he last time he took his best players completely out of the lineup. Um, I see Immobile coming off the bench, if anything. Uh, Cherby, he needs a rest. Um, I, I don't know. That guy's that guy's played some insane minutes. I would see a back three of uh, Wesley Hoot, uh, Stefan Ardu, and probably Luis Felipe. And credit to Lazio that they're able to take out a Cherby. This was a, a a worry in the summer where when we signed Wesley Hoot that we didn't have the depth in in defense to to, to take out a Cherby and give him some rest. And we're showing that we do have that kind of depth, but. I think that they should beat Verona on Saturday. I'm always concerned with Benevento because I I I know that Verona is very good defensively. I think that on a good day, Benevento can be much better than Verona. I think that they have an all-around kind of team. Personally, I I could be wrong about this. I I like to think at the bigger picture, and and I and I think that Verona it doesn't look like the same very competitive team as they were last year. I still think they're they're still a mid-table team and they're they're doing a good job. But I give credit to Inzaghi, Felipe Inzaghi at, at Benevento. And I know that there's been some bad defeats against Spezia. Um, but credit to Spezia as well. They, they've really proven a lot of people wrong. But just, just Benevento as a whole, they got some quality in that team. And we'll just see what happens, I guess, right? You sure you don't want him to just put all of his marbles in against his brother? Is that why? That's what scares me, actually. That's actually what scares me because that I think that's the bigger thing here is that Inzaghi versus Inzaghi, and I'm pretty sure he wants to get the better of his brother this time because I remember the last time they, these two met, uh, Inzaghi uh, was, well, the older Inzaghi got the the short end because he lost against Lazio with Bologna, so I still remember that game. So... At the end of the day, it's going to be uh, an interesting two weeks for all our, t- for our teams. Um, someone's got to win and someone's got to lose at the end yeah, of the day. For, uh, for my Napoli, our next four games are against Sampdoria, Inter, Lazio, and Torino. And I-, I think this is an absolutely critical period for us. You know, we mentioned, we talked about qualifying for the Champions League. If, if you want to get in that top four, you need to beat some of those top teams. We've already lost to Juventus and Sassuolo. Now, I know the Juve game was not on the field, but regardless, it's a loss. And we're not going to win that appeal. We need to move on. Thankfully, we beat Roma because I think if we lost that game, we would have been in a really difficult position. But those two games against Inter and Lazio are going to be critical, especially the game against Lazio because I think they're going to be one of the teams we're more likely to be competing with. I think Inter are far more likely to finish in the top four anyways. Um, And then we can't, you know, the problem with Napoli is we tend to play to our opponent's level. So we can't take Sampdoria or Torino lightly either. Sampdoria has shown they can take points. Torino haven't yet, but I'm going to maintain for a long time that this team is not as bad as everyone thinks they are. I mean, look at the teams that they've played so far. They've played like the cream of the crop so far. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up there, guys. I, I want to thank both of our special guests. 
before I let you guys go, uh, just let us know, Rui, you can start where our listeners can find you. Yeah, so you can uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, Ruizinho92, R-U-I-Z-I-N-H-O-92. And uh, you can follow our podcast at The Red Card Report. And yeah. Awesome. Fantastic podcast. One of my favorites, Rui. You cover all the big leagues, especially like the the Portuguese coverage because there's there's less of that content out there in Liga Mm -hmm. Nostra. Great job with that. Daniel, uh, where can the listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, Daniele Luch or Daniel Lucci, L-U-C-C-I, and uh, all my writing contact articles is at uh, are on World Football Index. And yeah, great stuff. And also amazing. I love your writing. And uh, follow Daniel not just because he's a Juventino. He knows a <laughs> lot about Serie So yep. definitely give him a follow. Uh, Jerry, you can find him at jmancini8. Jerry, you write about a thousand articles a week. Uh, I know you got one coming out about Napoli. I'm I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, any any other pieces you're excited about? I got too many on. Uh, I've written actually like eight or nine, and they're just in on my computer, all saved, and I just wait patiently when to release them. But uh, the, the 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 latest one is a tribute to Maradona. I know I've taken a quite a while to to, to complete it. Uh, I wrote one on uh, just recently on. Uh, Gattuso and how he's been able to really save Napoli and bring him back to life and how he's really changed the club around in, in over the uh, the year since the mutiny and, and the debacle, if you want to, if, if that's how you want to say it with, uh, with your boy Carlo Ancelotti. So it's, uh, yeah, I enjoy it. Keeps my mind off shit uh, during this, these, these uh, rough times, but uh, yeah. And I'm basically right now, aside from re, uh, writing, I'm actually reading a book of Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, I I personally never liked him before I read this book. I'm on chapter five, and I have to say, reading this book of Ronaldo, I've gained and have a lot of respect for him, understanding the individual he is and how he how he was brought up and what he had to go through and how he got to the game. And the level he's at, and his commitment to the game, and and how much he put into it. Um, I love Messi. I'm always gonna be a Messi boy, because that's how I grew up, just loving Messi and how he plays. But when I have to say who's the goat, it sometimes makes me think that maybe Ronaldo is maybe the goat over Messi, just because of how he did it and his his path but I guess that's not how you should determine who the greatest of all time is and and I and I you know what that's actually not even fair Maradona is actually better than both of them I I, <laughs> I take that back actually um but it, it's always a debate and and we just to, to finish this off uh we had Kubani a few weeks ago on the show and he said it perfect that it, you can't compare Maradona to Messi and Ronaldo but you could compare Messi to Ronaldo because of they're in the same era. Mm-hmm. But what makes it harder is they don't play the same position. So how can you say who's the greatest of all time and two players play two different positions and are expected to do two different things in a game? So it's always going to be a debate, but Maradona probably goes down as one of the best as an Argentine. And we'll say that man behind you, Luchi, Rossi, one of the best for Italy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's great stuff, Jerry. And 
keep writing. It's not just a distraction for you. It's it's a great distraction for the rest of us as readers. You can find me at Joe underscore Fischetti5. You can find Alex at Alex Dono. Dono is D-O-N-N-O. And you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts at Calchocon Pod. If you don't mind, give Alex and Jerry a five-star rating. Leave it, Take a few seconds to leave a comment as well. That really means a lot. And you can subscribe to the show on YouTube. Just search for Calcho Connection. Jerry and Alex will be back with another episode soon, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Calcho Connection podcast. Ciao.